Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. A couple of weeks ago, as Chris, uh, Pastor Chris had asked me if I'd speak uh, this weekend, then I, uh, I was praying about what I should preach on. There were so many things that I wanted to say and talk about. Uh, you know, when you get a one shot, you, you're trying to figure, well, what are you, you going to talk about? And you can't do it in a, you know, a series sort of thing. And so I came up with a topic. I'm not going to mention it right now until after we pray. But I spoke on it a little over two years ago. This is a completely different message. And so that's uh, what we're going to do this morning. Let's bow for prayer because I think it's important that we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and get past our heads and get past our objections, get past uh, the sleepiness in our spirits. Uh, and that he awakens us uh, for the times uh, that we live in uh, today. Father, we just uh, pray now that by your Spirit you would come. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts. We invite you to, and we choose to lean in and to listen to what you have to say to each one of us personally. This is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to be talking about perseverance as it relates to meditation and memorization. As Jesus said, the Christian life is fraught with difficulty. Matthew chapter 7 says, uh, as an example, and he talked about it in many different places. You know, he said in this world you're going to have many troubles. John chapter uh, 16 and in Matthew chapter 7 here, I'm using one from the ESV. The way it translates it is better than the NIV. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The apostles said the same thing. Uh, and uh, in fact, when you go, if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is practically all about hardship. Chapter 1, Paul talks about he, how he nearly despaired of life itself, he and his team. In chapter 4, he talks about we're, uh, we're jars of clay, broken and smashed. And in, uh, in chapter 11, he gives us his whole uh, list of hardships that he went through. Uh, Chapter 12, he talks about his thorn in flesh and so on and so forth. But in preaching the gospel, this is what they said. This is how they preached the gospel, which is a little different than we have preached the gospel in the West over the last uh, 50, 60, 70 years. In Acts 14, he said, uh, or they said, as they were preaching to the people, verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Why did they say that? Uh, I mean, when we are saved, and here's the reason, we are drafted into a spiritual battle, a fierce one at that. Much diff- it's a much different reality to what is presented in the gospel presented today where it's come to Jesus and then he'll make everything good in your life. Now, does God do a lot of good? Does Jesus, does this Holy Spirit do a lot of good in our lives? Yes or no? Absolutely. But does he take away all our problems and our trials and our sufferings? And the answer is no. We're in the middle of a fierce spiritual battle. You were born into it. When you were born again, you were born into it. And you were and and it will not cease until you take your last breath. And some of you say, well, it doesn't really feel like some of you feel like you're in trouble. Ray was talking about that in his testimonial mixed with the worship, which I thought was so good. 
uh, about trouble and hardship. And, and many of you have gone through so many difficult trials. and tri- You understand what I'm saying there. Then there's others of you that right now you've been, you know, really, your life has been really very easy. Let me tell you something. Be careful because you may have already been trapped by the enemy. Because he can do it in different ways. He can, he can go after you and fight you head on. Or, and like he fights in different ways. He fights us through the flesh. He fights us through the... Uh, um, through direct assault. We talked about the flesh a lot in the spring when I, when I spoke. But he can also talk, he can fight us in direct assaults, as he did with Job, and he often does that. Uh, but, then you, but then there's this other part, the world, that lulls us, to see, attracts us, it distracts us. And we can be lured into that. Uh, in fact, in second... Uh, well, sometimes a Christian soldier looks at the civilian life and says, that lifestyle looks attractive. I like the glitter of materialism. I like the pleasure of sexual immorality. I like the quest for self-fulfillment. Aren't those all things that are pulling us all the time? And the, the soldier of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're, we're called to be, looks at that and gets this, you know, imperceptibly, as we look at that, we start to, to think, well, maybe that would be a better kind of life. And Paul warned Timothy of that. He said, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding uh, officers. So that's another way he attacks. He can attack through lulling us and attracting us and getting our attention more on the things of this world so that we're distracted from the, king, the things of the, or the priorities of the kingdom of, of God. There is never a lull in fighting the enemy. Never. There's never a lull. It's always there. Even when it seems peaceful, like I said, it may be that he's lulling you. It's always a fight. And it won't, and we can't expect it to cease. Paul's life was characterized by much of that hardship, as I mentioned. Yet, writing from prison uh, to the Philippians, he said, and he's in prison in Rome, writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this: "I press on." What did he say? Let's say it together. I what? I press on. I'm not going to quit to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal, he said, which is really amazing. No surrendering or quitting with Paul, none. He persevered. Uh, Now, what made it possible for him and what makes it possible for us to persevere in the fight. I just got an email this, uh, uh, this morning that I read again. A church renewal pastor who is quitting. It happens every year. So, like, more add, get added than subtract. But it happens every year. There's some that quit along the way. They don't persevere. It's one of the things that I pray for all the time. Paul persevered right to the end. And there's ways that we can persevere. Here's why Paul thought it was important why we, why we should be able to persevere and make it to the end. There's three reasons. The first reason is we have God's Spirit living in us. Is that right? We have what? Who's living in us? 
God's Spirit is living in us. It's the greatest gift that God gave us at salvation. I mean, yes, we were, uh, you know, our salvation, I mean, our sins were wiped away, the sinful nature and all that kind of stuff. But he gave us the gift. That's what Acts calls it. That when they were preaching, Peter said, repent, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is what he said. And among many incredible things he does, the Holy Spirit, is strengthen us with power in our inner being. Listen to this prayer that Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. This power, Paul said, enables us to persevere in the face of trouble. Uh, in, in his uh, letter to uh, Colossae, he said, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great, what? Endurance or perseverance, same thing, and patience. So we have the Holy Spirit in us who has power and gives us the strength to be able to endure and persevere and not give up and never quit. Never quit. Is that right? And it also gives us the power to be lulled out of our, our spiritual sleepiness. Power. And Jesus equated his grace with that power. I don't mean by this that grace equals power because grace is more than the power, but power is part of grace. He said, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my, what? Power is made perfect in weakness. And this is exactly what he was saying right at the time when he was praying for this, this uh, thorn to be removed, which was a messenger from Satan that was tormenting him. And God said, my power will make it possible, from the Holy Spirit, make it possible for you to be able to withstand and to persevere and endure and never what? And never what? Starts with a Q. Never what? Yeah. Never quit. His grace is not, uh, not only provides us with power or enablement from the Spirit within, it also gives us desire. And Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will, that's desire, and to act according to his good purpose. Philippians 2.13. Uh, very good definition of, great, uh, of, of God's grace right there. Desire and ability. So how does he do it? He does it through his word, as we'll see. So, now, so the first thing that he gives us that makes it possible for us to persevere is, is who? He gives us what? The Holy Spirit. The second thing that he gives us is God's word, which makes it possible for us to persevere and to never give up and never quit and never be distracted. Uh, God's word accomplishes exactly what it says. Isaiah 55, 11, God said, So is my word which goes forth out of my mouth. It will, it will not return to me empty, but will what? Accomplish everything I've set uh, uh, that I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. It's powerful. Ultimately, our words express wishes and desires, but God's words accomplish precisely what they're sent out for. I mean, with his word, he created the world. His word also, not only is creative, his word can um, 
uh, destroy any opposition to his ultimate will and goals and plans. Is that true? In uh, Jeremiah 23, 29, I love this verse for that. Is not my word like, what's the word? Fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Not only that, his word not only is creative, not only does it destroy opposition, it sustains everything. Hebrews chapter 1 um, uh, verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his, what? Powerful, what? Word. So we've got uh, a couple, that, which is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, in the temptation, he said, man, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3, he said, man shall not, what? Live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So who empowers and delivers those powerful words? It's the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, the words, uh, uh, I'll just take the last part, but the words that I've spoken to you, they're spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they're life. They create in you. They resist opposition in you. They uh, sustain you. So Jesus says you can feed on it, which brings us uh, to the third part. So we have the, what do we have in us? Or I should say who? <laughs> the Holy Spirit, but I didn't want to give it away. And the second thing we have is what? The Word of God. Here's the third thing we have. We have the ability to feed our spirit souls, the immaterial side of us, on His words. Is that true? Yeah. So if God's Word and Spirit are available to all, why are so many Christ, uh, people, including Christians, withering up in their interior lives? It's because they won't feed or eat or whatever you like. We have, a, we have the ability and the responsibility uh, to feed ourselves, uh, our spirit souls. God won't force it on us, and he won't do it for us. And that's why Jesus used the imperative mode when he said, and it, it comes out clearest in the ESV, but this is the imperative mode. He says, abide in me. In this particular verse, he's saying, abide in me. I want you to, uh, I want you to do the feeding. As a branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We need his spirit and we need his words. Yes. But we also need to feed ourselves. Is that true? That's our responsibility. And the term that, you know, it's interesting. When we, when we were growing up, and this is our, when we were raising our, our young family, and we, uh, we had sons uh, growing up, particularly when they're teenagers, Frank could put, uh, you know, <laughs> all kinds of food in front of it. And, you know, it, basically it just, it just gets uh, suctioned up, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not really eaten. It's, it's just kind of suctioned. And it's gone. Is that true? But you know what Fran never had to ever do? Is tell them to pick up the food and eat. Have you ever noticed that with your kids? Or with your, or now it's our grandkids, you just put a, a bowl of whatever or a plate out of whatever, whew, it's gone. She never says, 
Eat that food. I mean, yes, vegetables, that's different, right? But, but real food, like meat, you, you know what I mean? You, you never have to say, eat that food. They know what to do with it. Isn't it true? Yet, in the Christian life, when it comes to our spirit souls that also have to be fed, we have to say to people, God says to people, abide, feed. You know what's the term uh, that the Bible uses for eating or feeding your spirit side? I mean, we know what the word is for, for feeding our bodies. That's eat or feed yourself. But do you know what it is for the spirit soul side? You know what the term that the Bible uses for that? Meditate. That's the word. Um, meditate. Jesus, no doubt, drew his picture of the vine and from the Psalms. He often took stuff from the Old Testament and, and just elaborated on or just moved on from that. Uh, but in Psalm chapter 1, verses uh, 2 to 3, but it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the, uh, the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful or scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, right? Look at the, and then he says, um, he will be like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf doesn't wither. Remember that? Interesting, because Jesus in John chapter 15, he uses the picture of the vine or the tree, and he says that we're the branches and we have to be, uh, uh, we have to be, remain in him, but uh, a little bit of a, a similar picture there. What then is meditation? Well, there's two uh, words, he Hebrew words for this, uh, that mean several things, but here are some of them. And uh, listening to God's word or reflecting on God's works, and think about the Psalms whenever you listen to the phrases that I'm using here, rehearsing God's deeds or ruminating on God's law. And there's many other ones we could uh, use like that, but that's really essentially what those Hebrew words for meditating or feeding your soul spirit mean. Richard Foster, I, I really like this. I, I found this, this quote by him. And this is how he uh, defined Christian meditation. He said, Christian meditation simply is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. He, that's what he simplified it to. And I went, whoa, that sounds like Southland kind of language almost, right? Hear his voice and obey him. Wow. The written word becomes a living word addressed to you. And, it, and an important aspect of meditation is memorization. I'm not saying you can't meditate without memorization. I'm just saying it's a really important, it's an extension of it, and I'll show you why that is so. Think about this, the idea, I mean, we all have Bibles, you know, and some of you brought it in your, on your little phones and that kind of stuff, which is fine. And uh, I, have, uh, I have a printed one. Probably many of you have never seen a printed one before, <laughs> but uh, I have a printed one too. And we, we have Bibles, but everybody has their own Bible. A Christian has their own Bible in the West. That's not true all over the world. And do you know that it's not been true for most of, of uh, human history? They haven't had it written down. Everybody didn't have their own personal Bible. It was only in the 15th century when Gutenberg invented the printing press, 
And then they, um, they started to print it. But even then, it took a long time before people had, uh, had their own Bibles in their own hands. And today, tons of Christians don't have their own Bibles. In many societies, in many places, even in places where we go, a pastor might have a Bible, but everybody else to, in the church doesn't have a Bible. And by the way, the day may come when they outlaw this one. Here. Is that true? Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. We're not that far away from, uh, from that. Only one-tenth of human history has ha actually had a Bible available for people. One-tenth of human history. That's it. So how did they get the word before that? I mean, the scrolls would be in the tabernacle or the temple. God's word was transmitted to people orally by memorization. That's why it says, don't let it depart from your what? Mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 14 says, the word is very near you. It is in your what? It's the M word. Say, it, say the M word. It's not a bad word. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Um, it got into their hearts via their mouths. Memorization is an extension of meditation. So let's talk for a few minutes. We can't spend any more time there. We've got to get to the benefits. And uh, in some of the writing that I've done, uh, I've listed eight benefits. So if you can just put, thank you very much. But, uh, you know, God says there are significant benefits from memorizing and meditating God's Word. It says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, he says, uh, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, uh, so that you may be careful to obey it. And then it says what? Then you will be prosperous and successful. It's not talking about money there. Uh, take a look at Psalm 1 that you, you just had. I'm sorry, I'm confusing you here. I'm running you all over the place. Uh, psalm chapter 1 said, what was the first word in, the, in, that, in that psalm? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the council of con you know, and stand and sit, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in that. Blessed benefits. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Then you're blessed. And... Uh, um, that's, and the, anyway, in my writings, I've, I've listed eight benefits. I mean, there's probably more, but we only have time for two. So we're going to, uh, I've picked the two that I've underlined. Let's go to number four there, which I now call benefit one. It revives your emotions, making you emotionally whole. In parts of the church, by the way, there's a, there's a little bit of a bias in the Western church, particularly in evangelicalism. There has been a, a, a bit of a bias against emotions in our faith. And for many, their faith is primarily a matter of the head, not the heart. Now, there are at least two important purposes for our emotions. And uh, here's purpose number one. The purpose for our emotions is to love and be loved by God. Uh, the the religious leader came to him and said, uh, Lord, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, and with all your, all your heart. 
and all your soul and all your mind. He didn't just say, love the Lord your God with your mind. Should we love him with our mind? And the answer is, yes, of course. But we're supposed to love him with, and, and those are the bowels in the heart there. That's what he's talking about. We're supposed to love him, not just our mind. Both men and women are emotional beings, by the way, men. It's part of who we are. Real worship taps into and uses emotions. That's what music and singing and praise and rejoicing are for. Um, consider what David said. And the Psalms are packed with emotions. Packed with emotions. Psalm 28.7, for example, says, My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. I wonder if that was the, when he wrote that, if that was the part where David was thinking about how he danced before the Lord with all his might, embarrassing Michael, his wife, Second Samuel 6. Remember that story? I wonder if that's what he's thinking about when he writes that. Uh, Paul prayed, and by the way, you know what's interesting about that? Um, no, maybe I'll get to it in a little bit. You know what Paul prayed? He prayed that the saints would know God's love Beyond the mind, that's experience or emotions. Uh, Ephesians 3 says, And to know this love that surpasses what? Knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Peter talks about it too. Don't have time for that. How about Jesus? Was, was Jesus just about the mind or was, he, or, or was there any emotion in him whatsoever? Well, I love Luke chapter 10, verse 20, 21. It's, a, it's a really powerful. At that time, Jesus, it says, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I thank you, Father, uh, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have not revealed this to the, the wisest world, but to children and all of that. Okay? But here's what I want you to notice. Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said. And the word said there is translated from a Greek word that is not legeo, which is just the simple said. It comes from Rahel, and it means a pouring forth, a pouring out. So in other words, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, poured out in praise to God. Oh, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's what it means, and I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what that means. Emotion, very important in our worship, uh, to love God and be loved by God. Our problem isn't that we use too much emotion in our worship, we use it too little. But it has to be used for what it was designed, and that brings us to purpose number two. It's to motivate us or propel us forward, but not to direct us, all right? Our culture, and many Christians as well, often base their decisions on what feels right or good. That's the wrong use of emotions. Uh, we don't, we're not supposed to make our decisions on what feels right. And by the way, our culture says that they don't do that, but that's exactly how they base their decisions. Whatever feels right, that's what they do. And sometimes Christians get caught in uh, that trap too. We're not to be guided by our emotions, but by our mind. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 too, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. There it is. So the decision makes, uh, happens that way, through the mind. And once the mind, in subjection to the Holy Spirit and the Word, then the emotions can motivate or propel us forward to do the things that God is calling us to do. And keep us in the game. When you feel discouraged and you want to quit, do you know what you're feeling? An emotion. And so we need the right emotions to keep us persevering. Is that right? It's interesting to me the, um, in the story in Luke chapter 10 about the, uh, the Good Samaritan. And he comes along this, uh, this, uh, this guy that's been robbed and beaten and left uh, half dead at the side of the road. And he comes there. But do you know what it says in Luke 10? Go and read it. It says, he felt compassion. That's an emotion. And the emotion helped him uh, do what he was supposed to do. So not only is emotion important for loving and being loved by God, it is also to be used to motivate us. Not direct us, but motivate us. And John 14, uh, no, we don't have time for this. I'm skipping. There are some, uh, let me name some words that you're quite familiar with out of the New Testament. Hope, love, Joy, think about these. Peace, uh, what am I missing here? Faith. Five, what, are, what do they have in common? They're all what? They're all emotions. And the New Testament talks about them many times. Many, many times. You can't survive without healthy emotions. Paul requires us, in fact, to have three healthy emotions in, our, in the armor section that I've spoken on, Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He's talking about the peace of God, not peace with God there. He talks in another place, take up the shield of faith. He, and then in the very next verse, he talks about put on, uh, put on the helmet of salvation in Thessalonians, he says, which is hope. Uh, we need those. Of course, you can also have bad emotions or feelings, as I just indicated, which will motivate you to do sinful things or quit, which is why Paul warned. He said, uh, in your anger, do not what? Yeah, when you're angry, don't sin. Now, there is a righteous kind of anger, a kind of anger, let's say, you know, you see injustice for somebody who is being picked on, who is weak and taken advantage of, and you have an anger that rises up, that's a, and it may motivate you to do something to help the disadvantaged. That's a good thing, right? But then there is, but much of our anger is, is a negative emotion that's used for selfish purposes and hurts other people. Okay? So he says, be careful. So that here's what's important about emotions. They must be subject to God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Truth without emotion is dead. Deadness, you won't survive. Emotion without truth is dangerous because it will lead you into error. Either one ends you up in a ditch where, you, uh, where you're of no value to the kingdom anymore. Either way. We are responsible to ensure that our emotions are righteous and healthy. I, I, I found this saying. Somebody told me last night where, where I found it. Uh, but Dallas Willard 
uh, who was the head of philosophy at the University of Southern California for many years. He's gone to be with the Lord already. But he said this, Feelings are, with few exceptions, good servants, but they are disastrous masters. That sums up very well what we just talked about, right? So what does this all have to do with meditation memorization? Well, the, the, the devil will blaspheme God to you, trying to persuade you that God doesn't love you, doesn't have your best interests at heart. Imagine then if you can call to your mind a passage of Scripture like this out of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his what? Benefits. And then look at, look at a few of them. A friend memorized this whole psalm. For, who forgives your iniquity, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good things so that your youth will be renewed as the eagles. In, in other words, you're refreshed, you're renewed, you're ready to go again. I mean, that'll, it, Satan's telling you this one problem, this one trouble, this one trial, this one piece of suffering that you have in your life, God is not good, he doesn't care about you, he doesn't love you, and then you memorize it and you meditate on this, and suddenly you start listing off all the things he's done, and you find out he's done 99 things good for you, and there's just one thing that is, hasn't happened for you yet. You see what I mean? And you begin to, it, it starts to change you. His word starts to change you. And it starts to restore uh, hope. And, uh, you know what happened last night? Last night, between the services, a man came to me. And I thought he, he had been in the first service. And he started to tell me, you know, he said, uh, he said I, 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 I'm really negative. I worry a lot. I'm anxious a lot. I'm fearful all the time. And he said, guess what happened this summer? This summer, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and I began to, I took a bunch of passages, and I just began to read them over and over and over and over. And they were on, a, on about fear and anxiety and, and worry and all those things. I just kept reading them over and over and over. And guess what? He said, it started to lift. He said, for years I've lived like this. It started to lift. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Then he said this. By the way, if you go to Philippians 4, I knew exactly where he was going. Philippians 4, he says, says do not be anxious for anything, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, the past all understand, regard your hearts and minds, which are in Christ Jesus. He says, but it doesn't end there. And I went, he gets it. Verse 8 says, finally, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He said, I never saw those two things connected. So here he said, I've been reading over those passages of Scripture, and that's exactly what's been happening. And he said, by the way, you know what the very next verse was? I couldn't believe that he'd gone to that verse, because most Christians end at verse 7. He went right to verse 9. And the last phrase in that, and he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And I looked at him and I said, are you telling me it's because you were in the service? No, he said, I'm coming for the second service. I said, that's what I'm preaching on tonight. He had done it in 10 minutes, a lot shorter than what I'm doing it with you. <laughs> Wouldn't you like him, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's how it goes. Sucks to be you. The law of the Lord is perfect it, because it what? Revives the soul. 
The psalmist said in, in Psalm 19, verse 7. And, and here's the second benefit, and this is all we have time for. It changes your perspective, motivating you to persevere. So out of those eight benefits, we're looking at two. This second one, I only have time for, for a few minutes. In Matthew 6, verse 22, is this verse that people sometimes stumble over. It says this. It says, the eye is the lamp of the whole body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, uh, uh, how great is that darkness? Okay? Now, do you know where that passage is put it? And they wonder, what on earth does that mean? Because it's right in the middle of something Jesus is talking about. If you go back to verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal. But, uh, and then he says, But store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break, break through and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasures are, there your, there your heart will be also. And then he says, For the, the eye of the lamp, uh, the eye is the lamp of the whole body. Then he says that. And then he goes back, and then he goes right back to talking about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one, despise the other, cannot serve both God and money. Right in the middle, he's got this. And people go, what on earth is he talking about there? You know what he's talking about? It's a metaphor for perspective. For perspective. Um... Here, Jesus uses it that way. You know, we say things like, she just doesn't see that. We don't mean by that they don't physically see it. We mean by that they don't get it. They don't understand it. Their perspective isn't right. Uh, and that's what Jesus is saying here, uh, that their perspective wasn't right. They were, they, were, they were thinking they could store up treasures for themselves here, and, and they're not, their perspective isn't on heaven and on eternal matters, and so they're storing up treasures here instead of storing up treasures over there. So he says, you've got to get your eye and perspective on eternal things so that your body, won't, so that your whole body, <laughs> being is really what he's talking about, won't be filled with darkness, eternal darkness. What kinds of things should you get your eye on? Well, Paul tells us that in Colossians chapter um, 3, I think, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, since you are seated in the heavenlies, set your hearts uh, on things above or no, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenlies. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. That's what he's talking about. He said the whole eye of the body, you know, the eye is the lamp of the body, but if you're not setting your eye on eternal things and you're setting it on, on this present world, then you're going to store up stuff on this earth instead of storing things up for eternity. So he said, you got to get your eye off on, on the right things. Here is how memorization will help you get that right perspective. The world distracts you and, and I, calling us to its short-term enticements. Imperceptively, bit by bit, our thinking shifts, making us feel like the world is all there really is. And we will always live according to what we feel. People live by what they feel. That's why it's so important to get your emotions right. Um, 
But if you begin to memorize verses or meditate and then begin to memorize verses which speak about the brevity of life, the, the Spirit will shake you awake from your spiritual slumber. <laughs> Take uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 11 to 13 says, The hour has come, uh, or has already come, for you to wake up from your slumber the, because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you believe that? You think it's, it's closer? He says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, uh, not in the dissension and, and, um, and division or something like that. And then he says, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. The hour has come. Uh, it's almost here. It's time for us to wake up from our slumber. You know one of the things that has troubled me deeply for a long time? This is no exaggerating. Uh, I talk about it to Fran all the time. We talk, the Berrigans and I talk about it a lot. Uh, he, he keeps bringing it up to me. Our pastors are not, many of them do not have an urgency about the time. And I fear that many Christians don't have an urgency and uh, I went to prayer about it early in the morning, many times. I said, Lord, I don't understand. So one of the things, I, there's about eight characteristics that I pray for myself, for Fran, for the pastors here, for uh, the, the coaches, the directors, the church renewal things. There's about eight characteristics. You know what one of them is? Urgency. As I was praying about it the one morning, when we were on our writing break now, um, the Holy Spirit alerted me, and he said, you keep praying for urgency. Have you, have you ever considered why you feel this pressing urgency that gets you going and just you... Have, have you ever wondered, yeah, Lord, why? Why is it... Why do I feel this urgency? I've often wondered that. He said, it's because what you've memorized. I said, what I memorized? What did I memorize? He said, well, think about it. What have you memorized? And I began to realize I had memorized huge chunks, lots of chunks, on eternity. Lots of them. Like 2 Corinthians 5, some, some of them are on, uh, all of those uh, on the sheets there would, would be included. But like, let's say 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or, or bad. Or take 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to, to 15. You know, and our, we're going to stand before the uh, judgment seat of Christ. All our works are going to be burnt up, you know, or will be tested by fire, and the day will reveal what, what they are. Uh, or take uh, uh, 4 verse 5. I, I just don't have time to quote them all, but 4 verse 5. He will bring to light everything that is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts, and each will receive. So it even tells us what he's going to be judging, the motives there. And then Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come and scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised, ever since our fathers died? Everything continues as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget, and we can just keep on going on that. Or take uh, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and, and sky, fled from 
him, and there was no place for him. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And the book of life was opened. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and the death in Hades gave up the dead. That's, we could go through a whole thing there on Revelation 21, or 20, or 20, 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven, you know, and on and on. And I realized my perspective had changed because, not because I'm, <laughs> because I'm spiritual, but because my spirit soul was being fed on eternity passages. So my mind was thinking about those things. My perspective was thinking about those things. And so everything I see in the news and everything that I see around me is all related to that. And suddenly the Holy Spirit said, you've got to get their perspective on that. And so I have a memorization lesson in, uh, you know, uh, for, for the pastors. And I had it way over in the character section. Fran had already said to me, I think you need to move it up. Not only did I move it up to where she said, I moved it way up, almost close to the beginning, and now I've put memorization through the, all the lessons in for, uh, for pastors and uh, for, for the mentoring and, and uh, so on, and discipling. And guess what I start with? All those passages. Lots of them. Eternity passages. Now, there's other ones that are really important, too. But if you do, like that gentleman said last night, it changes, not, it not only changes something in you, but it also changes your perspective. And that's, and that's, what, we're, um, and that's what we're talking about. All right? And once the Spirit opens your spiritual eyes with light from an eternal perspective, you will easily align your life with, new, with your new perspective. Guess what? It is not so difficult then. You know, because sometimes we say, oh, the Christian life, it's so hard. You know, we hear another message, and now we got, oh, and now we got to do this, and now we got to do that. But if we start feeding on the right things, it gives us desire and ability, is power and desire, but also changes our perspective. And we more automatically start to move in that kind of a direction. You'll be motivated to love and walk with God, to persevere, obey Him. Confess your sins, pray, grow your character, sacrifice, give, serve, and minister. It's really important. You'll find that the lure of the world will loosen its grip on your soul because you'll begin to see that the world isn't ultimate reality. It's just shadow lands, as C.S. Lewis put it. So how do we meditate and memorize? Here's uh, four very easy steps. Pray for a desire to meditate and memorize. Think about this. If I offered you, some people say, well, I just can't do it. But if I offered you $1,000 for every verse you memorized in the next week, how many of you think you could memorize a verse? Ah, isn't that funny? Suddenly our perspective changes. I think I could put a few t minutes aside for a, uh, for a verse for a thousand bucks, right? See, the issue isn't whether we can do it. The issue is whether we're going to prioritize it. That's the issue. I like what the psalmist said. He said, your laws are more precious than gold. They're much than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey. 
than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them is great reward. Uh, number two, choose scripture verses. And uh, you've, you've got some handouts. That's not, an, you know, that's not, uh, it's not the best list in the world. I just went and I, I did this on the airplane. I quickly just started what I, I started thinking of verses. And I just scrawled it down and asked them to do that uh, for me. And, and then, uh, by the way, I had a woman come to me after the first service yesterday and she was so excited. She said, you know, I think it was over two years ago you preached on, on memorization. And I said, I did. It was 2017, a little over two years ago. And she said, my son, who is 18, he's 20 now, he has now memorized 700 verses. Is that amazing? And yeah, yeah, his name is Thomas. I can't give his last name, but I was, uh, but I was able to give his first name. And uh, she went and verified it with him, and he, and he said, well, it's not actually 700, it's 686. So he'll, maybe this week he'll top it up. <laughs> Start small, choose one verse, go over it till you can do it, and do it, you know, one verse every, you know, for 52 weeks, you'd have 52 verses. If you did that for 10 years, you'd have 520 verses. That's just one a week. And then choose a tool. You can start with a little list like that and add your own, or you can use Scripture Typer. That's what he uses now, because I suggested it at the time. So uh, we haven't made that. That's, you can buy that for 10 bucks, the advanced one. Uh, for 100 verses, you can get it for free, but if you want to do what he's doing, then, it'll, um, uh, then you need the advanced one, and you've got to pay, I think, about 10 bucks or something like that. Anyway, are you up to it? God did not promise us an easy life. He did not. But he gave us the Holy Spirit, he gave us his word, and he gave us the ability to feed. And he said, if you do it, it'll change your life. Lord, thank you for your spirit, for your word, and the ability to feed so that our lives could literally be changed and our perspectives changed for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.